Ruffians, and welcome to Playing Rough, the gaming podcast that combines humor, tryharding, and still having friends. I'm your host, John Mincer, and with me, as always, is... David Conrad. Hey, David. Hey, John. Hey. Um, so, been a, a busy week in the post-Halloween uh, uh, time frame here. We're, we're zooming in toward, like, the Thanksgiving and everything holiday. How are how yep. you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm actually not doing too bad today. I had today off since... Uh, Today was voting day, so hopefully everybody listening went out and voted. If you had something to go and vote for, uh, government employee, I get random days off. <laughs> uh, so we ended up doing a lot of cleaning around the house. I finally got my hair cut, which I've been dying to do. Uh, my wife, Caitlin, actually cuts my hair. Uh, so that's that's a, both a good and bad thing because I hate to bug her when we're very busy. So I've gone like half a year without having my hair cut at this point. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, but it's finally cut. It feels great. I've, I feel like I've lost a couple pounds. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, like, picturing you with, like, big man dreads or, you know, something like that, but... Oh, no, no, it's, it's... You remember high school when I just let it get out. It just gets poofier and poofier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's the same thing that happens to me. <laughs> it is nice. You? I mean, like, if you if you come into quick contact with a wall or something, you know, it's, uh, like, a natural helmet. It, yeah, it works like a whiskers. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> How about you? How have things been? Oh, pretty good. Um, busy, busy at work. I've been out of the office a lot, like driving around doing errands and stuff, which is kind of nice. It gives me time to think. Um, I'm now sort of planning two um, tabletop RPG campaigns, and so having time to think is, is nice. Um, but it's it's light work, so I'm, I'm finishing up Call of Cthulhu, and I'm also sort of drafting uh, a play space for Blades in the Dark, way blades in the dark is written you can't really plan a campaign for it so i'm just trying to make enough characters to make it an interesting you know sandbox for everybody Mm -hmm. playing that's fair yeah um but other than that just uh playing with the babies and and doing the sort of normal normal stuff so it's a a good time of year hopefully we can get some some rest in here and uh come out the other side energized right right cool come out just um, like just having actual access to like you know, make it through the winter. That's that's my goal. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, I I understand that. Um, cool. So, what have you been able to play uh, in this this uh, cooling time of year? So, Caitlin's family was actually here in town with us this weekend, so I actually got a little bit of time to play a few games for once. Uh, Adam and me went uh, when they first got here, went out to. Uh, Meyer just to pick up some groceries and stuff, and we found um, they had a uh, Modern Horizon packs for Magic on sale at a pretty good price. Okay, it was like so to buy a pack individually is ten bucks. They had three pack boosters at twenty four, and then buy one get one half off. Oh, that's not bad. So we essentially ended up paying about thirty five bucks for sixty dollars worth of product. Yeah, uh, and then Adam also bought a fat pack. Which is 10 more boosters. And then Adam's favorite limited format is actually sealed. So usually you need six packs for sealed. And we were sitting there like, well, we're one shy. I was like, well, we could do just five and five. And then he just grabs the Modern Horizon packs. And we just did three Modern Horizon packs and five packs of Eldraine and made that work. Oh, okay. That's, <laughs> so that that's was an interesting, uh, interesting play space. Yeah, it, it, was, it was hilarious because there's a card in Modern Horizons called Goblin Engineer that works really well with artifacts and i managed to actually play it in my sealed deck primarily because of my artifacts from eldraine <laughs> ah yes excellent it was it was interesting uh and then besides that we got to play um some goris maximus uh which is again uh, basically just a better version of euchre uh, me caitlin and adam all got to play that and so that was a good time nice so that's what i got what about you well, um, I've been fairly busy on the gaming front. Uh, I did finish up Outer Worlds. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I did not get the best endings the first playthrough through. Um, in one case, I did not do all of the quests necessary to get a compromise. And in another case, I just didn't... I plain didn't like one of the factions, and so I didn't compromise with them. Um, this uh, upcoming game, I think I'll give it a shot. Um sometimes in the outer worlds the humor strikes me as a little darker than uh it could be otherwise mm-hmm. um in the first region the people who live in the company town really act like uh slaves with stockholm syndrome and Ooh. i found that pretty dark and so i destroyed the town and as it turns out 
that gets you a bad ending. Uh, I don't know how I feel necessarily about some of these things. Um, it seems like some of the decisions that um, Obsidian is making with regard to sort of its philosophical position are kind of arbitrary. You know, like if a mean person is in charge of a faction, then that faction will be unsustainable in the long term, even if it's morally right. And I just I find positions like that a little weird. <laughs> yeah that's fair um anyway i i am still loving the game i'm playing back through a second time uh on a harder difficulty and with uh more more accommodation to the game's humor and everything seeing seeing if i can get better endings um so we'll we'll see how it goes there's in fact one um i don't want to spoil anything here because it is a new game but there's one ending you can only get by making a, a fairly morally gray choice and that is the good ending. So it's in one case, the game seems to suggest that the ends do justify the means, um, which is not a position that Obsidian has taken in the past. So I guess we'll we'll see how I feel about that after seeing that ending in in practice. Huh. Um, but I'm I'm gonna try it this time through and just kind of see what what it means. Um, see what story they wanted to tell. Yeah, exactly. So so that'll be fun. Um, I am really enjoying that. Um, I have, uh, oh, today we played Magic um, at lunch at work. Uh, I'll send working. you those decks. Oh, yes, if you can, that would be awesome. Um, today I borrowed a deck and I was undefeated in my little casual gang. Um, went three out of ze- three zero. Um, and it was a well-made deck. So I, I had given um, the guy who made it some pointers uh, after our, our last game. Uh, it was a blue-red deck and it had a lot of burn, but very little, like, uh, deck manipulation and i was like you know what would make this deck really good is the ability to draw more burn <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he was like oh yeah you're right so he over the last couple of weeks went through and tweaked it and added some um some draw and a little bit of counter and what he basically did was make like a deck with i guess you could say like three modules in it none of which are going to be a win condition on their own but if you can fire off two of the modules um then you're you're pretty in a, in a good spot, and you've got a lot of options early on because they're all cheap modules. Mm-hmm. So there's like a um, a couple of combos, uh, for example, with fog elemental, and a couple of um, uh, if this creature dies at end of turn, do this thing um, combos. So fog elemental dies if it uh, attacks or blocks. So you can add all of these instants onto it, um, buff it, and then it'll die and it'll spawn all these creatures or, you know, very various things you can do. So, um, it's a, it's a pretty fun deck. I really enjoyed it. And, it sounds uh, right up your alley. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you played it really well. And I was like, I don't know. This just feels really natural to me. So, <laughs> it feels like coming home. <laughs> it does. So I'm, I'm kind of back into magic. Um, a couple of my, a couple of the people who are playing with me have like gone out and started buying cards again, even though we had all come from a position of just having like a few sitting around. So I'm worried that the, the hell engine is going to start up again here and I'm going to have to like get competitive again. We'll see how it goes. Um, it sounds like you've got the kind of group that it just, it, it doesn't sound like you're going to be moving out of that like kind of fun, casual space anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, one of the girls who plays with us has a, a really good token deck uh, where she like lays down um, like one, one soldiers, but like as soon as they die, they spawn two, one, one tokens and she just finds ways to, generate tokens or replace these soldiers or like whatever um and see now i want to put the there's a couple of cards in black that are uh three three or four mana and like give all creatures minus one minus one or minus two minus two but instead of dying it exiles them yeah oh man that would would be great um but like today i played against it and she just got mana screwed and i felt really bad so Uh, it wasn't that i did anything downside of magic yeah exactly um so anyway it was a really fun game uh and then finally of course i'm doing my my ttrpg uh we're coming up on the very end of call of cthulhu uh one of the things that i wanted to discuss in today's um you know topic segment is that I actually built a mini game for Call of Cthulhu, uh, and I'm I'm hoping it's fun for the players. Uh, so basically, what happened is that the Call of Cthulhu game that I wrote is very um, mystery heavy and very not combat heavy. Uh, the reason for that is has nothing to do with Call of Cthulhu's combat rules, which are fine, uh, moderately lethal for the PCs, which is kind of intended. Um, but just because I had such a large group. Um, 
too much combat felt very uh like it would slow things down way too much right we'd spend the whole hour we had just doing a combat and that's it um yeah we've definitely had that problem before absolutely so instead I, i wrote this very narrative heavy like you know make choices you're gonna win against small fights and you're gonna lose against big fights so you know make your decisions wisely um and it's come together into a really fun campaign but they didn't solve all the mysteries um and so they need a little bit more information before they can go into the final couple of fights or final couple of encounters, let's say. Um, and so I wrote a book, a deck of cards, I guess you could call it, where every time they draw from it, they have to spend their sanity. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious if this is going to be fun or if they're going to find this, um, I don't know, boring or uh, not fair. Well, anyway, well, we can talk about that in a minute. But right. um, we're coming up on the very end, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what decision they end up making to oppose these elder gods. Uh, and then we're going to swing into a, uh, a blades in the dark campaign. They've already started building their uh, gang. Their gang is going to be a group of smugglers who rides around on a barge that can partially submerge into the water. So it looks like a, an old shipping container that fell into the water <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> they came up with this entirely on their own with no prompting from me. Um, they just combine some rules in a creative way. And so that is making me really look forward to this game. That's awesome. Yep. So uh, the, the cool thing about Blades in the Dark is it is a fiction first game. I think I've mentioned this before, but basically it means uh, the fiction drives what rules you apply and you choose which rules based on the fictional thing that the, the players are trying to do. Um, that makes it a little bit rules light, but it also makes it very modular. You just apply what you feel is most important in this scenario. So, um, you know, that sort of thing isn't just window dressing that will apply to, you know, what roles they end up making and the sort of things that they can do or get away from or what have you. So I I think that's really neat. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to start. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that probably brings us to our topic today. Yeah. excited to kind of get into this because i feel like mini games are one of those things that it it's every single person has a different interpretation of them and like they can vary so widely in terms of quality oh man i feel like people love them hate them love certain ones hate certain other ones um get really really into some mini games and can't stand the fact that others are even in games so let's, let's take a, a moment by defining the field we want to talk about, right? Okay. Um, I definitely want to include games which are small things included in larger games. <laughs> um, right. Which which sounds like a like obviously that's what a mini game is, but I mean things like um, Bioshock had like that pipe game in order to hack um, vending machines. Uh, games like Gwent in The Witcher or Caravan in Fallout New Vegas. Blitzball um, in Final Fantasy X. Blitzball in X, the weird card game when you collected cards in Final Fantasy VIII. And Nine um, had a weird card game too, didn't it? What did? I think Final Fantasy Nine had a weird card game too. I actually never played Nine. I think that I, I didn't play much of Nine either, but I think it also had a card game. I heard good things about Nine. It just for some reason I missed it. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so those definitely. Um, I would also like to include things that you have to play in order to um, accomplish something. So this might be, you know, this would definitely include Bioshock's little pipe, pipe game, but also even just the lockpicking game, which is a fairly simple mini game. But um, in Skyrim and Oblivion uh, that uh, you have to do in order to get into locked containers, uh, the hack game in Fallout um, 3 and 4. Uh, anything else you want to make sure we include? Hmm. I think those are definitely the big ones. Um, basically, honestly, to me, a lot of times side quests feel like a mini game too. Like for me, anything that it is a break from the like main storyline path feels like a mini game to me. So, do you need to change the mechanics of the game for it to count as a mini game, or is it just if it's a little different loop? Personally, and this is why I think mini games are so interesting to talk about. I I feel even if it's the same mechanics but a different loop, like if you go into a town and you could follow the main path and do an objective there and then move on, 
but you could also stop and do six other things. Those six other things feel like a mini game. Like I think of side quests as mini games, even that, though like that, they can have a different definition, etc. That's super interesting. So like normally I would have counted just the stuff where there's some sort of mechanical change. So I would have, you know, definitely included the little strategy game that they stick into Final Fantasy VII. Um, I would have, if you pushed me, included the um, choke point game because it uses regular combat rules and regular movement rules but a different like um premise you have to move between your different parties that's included in final fantasy 6 um but i normally wouldn't have included things like side quests but i really like that you've included that yeah it's and like i said i think that's what's so interesting about many games is that like it's kind of this huge wide spanning topic i feel everybody has kind of their own take on it and how much they matter because like i also think of like um had did you ever play any of the shinmu games uh no actually uh so they were really really quick time event heavy and like that to me feels like a very brief minigame even if it is part of the kind of the game's main loop like for Shinmu, those quick time events always showed up in like a lot of in the cutscenes whenever you did story time stuff. But like the ma- game's main loop was like going to work and m- doing this, all of the stuff that normally would happen, and then maybe after a few days you might find a clue to what you need to do next. And so like the normal game loop for that felt like just living out this guy's life, and then in the cutscenes where the bulk of like the quick gameplay happened, you had these quick time events that felt like a mini game at that point. I'm really glad you brought that up because I was going to ask if you were going to include quick time events. I mean, there's a time when we were sort of young gamers where quick time events were all the rage and everything, had all it. sorts of games. I mean, you know, I think they, they feature pretty prominently in the mass effect games, um, in a couple of the resident evil games, uh, gosh, just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, well, I, I think quick time events are interesting, for the fact that they take a, they add tension to cutscenes that you normally otherwise would feel like you have a reprieve from what's happening. And they add a weird kind of tension, right? Right. Because if you don't... Like, usually the time to enter the thing, you have to have very quick reflexes. And if you don't do it, like, some games, like, then kick you back to the start of the cutscene. You have to go back through and hit all of them. Other ones, like uh, Heavy Rain and stuff, if you don't do the quick time events right, it completely alters the storyline up to and including killing off your character. Yeah, you, you can get bad endings and stuff from some of them. So. so it's interesting. Like, quick time events, like you said, like, they were everywhere for a long time. And you have games, like, heavy rain which are built around quick time events or shin like that shinmu has a lot of them too um and those are both like really narrative heavy games and i think that they view adding in those quick time events as adding gameplay to an otherwise like very gameplay light experience that's a really interesting point and i I think a really important one um what about games that have like essentially no narrative so i'm thinking games like uh pokemon stadium which is normally a game (laughs) to add cool new animations to your normal Pokemon game, uh, but which included a whole bunch of very famous mini games, including Lickitung eating the sushi and dude, Magikarp uh, jump, the Magikarp jump, trying to remember all the things that Clefairy was teaching you on the board. Um, like just very, very popular. Uh, and then games like, uh, like Mario party. Where, I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah. Mario party is all mini games, but the fact that each one is mechanically and narratively distinct means that you can't really say that you know it's just part of the core game loop because it is but it's also so different from any other one you might have randomly come up with right it's just because you could also consider the moving around the board as the core game loop right yeah absolutely so like um, it's interesting like what part do you think like is the mini games what matters and then up to and including with the most recent mario party you could go online and play with your friends but you could only play media games you couldn't play the board game part that's kind of weird. <laughs> right? Like, this... Don't get me started. I'm going to go off on a rant. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess um, what's important here, to me, is uh, how intrusive um, do you find mini games? How engaging must the actual mini game be in order for it to remain fun? So, so here's kind of what got me thinking about these questions. Um, the Outer Worlds, which I have just been talking about, made a fairly controversial decision in removing or never including in the first place, I guess is a better way of saying it, um, games which have previously been a staple of Obsidian games, like the lockpicking minigames where you have to uh, move your little lockpick around until you find the 
area where the lock um, is the most, I guess, loose, the loosest. And then uh, you, you know, crank it all the way to the side and the lock opens up. If you do that anywhere else, the lock pick breaks. Um, it's a fun little mini game. It's fine. It only takes a few seconds to play. Um, but uh, some people hate it and some people love it. And there were some people who were very frustrated that it wasn't in the Outer Worlds or nothing similar was in the Outer Worlds. Um, Fallout 3 and 4 and um, New Vegas all had a hacking minigame, which Obsidian is perfectly good at doing. Um, they don't own the IP to Fallout anymore, but they did not do any sort of minigame for hacking computers. You just need a little item. And as long as uh, you have enough you know, fuel for the item, basically, uh, enough replacements for the item, you can hack any computer. Uh, I think you do need enough hacking skill in order to make that work, but it's just not particularly common to run out of these things. So, um, you know, some people were really disappointed in this and other people were like, oh, thank God they're finally respecting our time and not making us play this dumb word search game in order to, you know, get into a computer. What do you think about that sort of thing? Well, I think that I see both sides of the argument because like you said, the lockpicking minigame uh, in Skyrim only takes a few seconds usually. <laughs> but the problem is, even if it takes five to ten seconds, you're typically doing it hundreds of times throughout the course of the game. Yep. And that adds up to a significant amount of time in the end of fiddling slightly with your thing to try and find the one area where you can twist it all the way. And then if your lockpick breaks, it resets and you have to try and find that spot. Like, it can eat up a lot of time. And yeah. at the end of the day, it, it it accomplishes its goal of making you feel like you're engaging in this in some way. But it's not it's still not how lockpicking actually works <laughs> that's true like it, it's it's probably a decent like quick way to get across the point but it, it it's, it's interesting because i don't mind doing mini games i don't mind them so much when either it's part of the main thing i'm going to experience something like a mario party where it's built on it like pokemon stadium and i don't mind it when like I'm getting to do a bunch of different things. Like I don't mind the pipe hack mini game in uh, in Bioshock very much because it's different every single time. Sure. But sure. doing exactly the same thing over and over, like hundreds of times throughout the course of a game, that did get old. And like I love to play sneaky characters, so like I encountered that a lot. Almost every time I play Skyrim, my character uh, is a good lock picker, just because I love. I, I hate missing chests <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and, and you have to be able to pick locks to get all the chests yeah absolutely um one thing that i sort of wish skyrim had had was a little mini game for picking pockets um only because like the way that i played skyrim like if i missed picking a pocket i would just say reload right like yep I, I never ever even once considered playing a sneaky character that could actually get caught and so there was this whole loop of content that they wrote for like getting arrested or being chased around by, by townsfolk or whatever that I just never encountered because mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't play that way. Um, well, yeah. And like you said, you can always just save and then reload really fast. So you don't have to encounter it. So why without something engaging where if I do it right, I don't run the risk. Like, cause it's, it's still a random thing then. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, what they've done with Outerlands is they've made it a random thing to a degree, but you can manipulate it through the game's numbers that you can build up as opposed to manipulating it through like a small skill test. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely not like um, random in the sense that, you know, uh, you'll ever like encounter a random chest that's impossible to pick. They set um, like difficulties for regions that make sense according to how far along in the game you are. And there are some where you, where you won't be able to open them unless you, you know, added some points to your, your lockpick, basically. Um, which is also frustrating for me as someone who likes to open all the chests. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it is pretty interesting, right? I think the idea was to make every skill useful to some degree, um, while never making a skill so important that you can't win the game without it. Okay. Um, although, I did notice you can't get some of the best endings unless you put up a lot of points into your dialogue skill. So they were really leaned into making that an important skill. Hmm. Um, one thing that I am curious about 
is have you ever met you and i both played uh stardew valley right yes have you ever met any of the people who could never get the hang of fishing i haven't but i also i've not made it deep into stardew valley i never got the chance to fish myself oh okay really? i've only like i've played it like i own it i've never i've never beaten the game uh, oh okay stardew valley doesn't really have a beating condition but you never fished at all no, I never got around it. Like, I, I had only gotten, like, I played it, like, two or three times, and it just was, there's so many, there's so many games, John. Oh, I know. I don't, don't take that the wrong <laughs> way. All I mean is, um, the fishing mini game is, like, you need to press the button at the right time to keep, um, the, you know, the bar within the right range. Um, it's easy for some people, and some people never get the hang of it, and so they just never fish. Uh, it's not something that's super important. But it's a whole chunk of the game that, like, in, there's legendary fish that you can only get on certain days of the year. Um, you've got to be pretty good to get them. There's, like, a, you know, 10% chance or something. Any any given fishing scenario that you'll be able to grab one of these legendary fish. So um, takes some practice and some doing and everything. And some people just never did that at all because it was a mini game they couldn't get the hang of. Oh, and also usually... If a game stacks a bunch of mini games into it, like I'm thinking like Animal Crossing, mm-hmm. like you, you have the fossil digging stuff, you have the fishing stuff, you have bug collecting, like there's a bunch of different sort of mini games um, within it that maybe one of them just doesn't appeal to you or you're so busy doing the other ones that you feel like you've finished your time with the game before you ever get around to one of the mini games. Yeah, yeah. The, the Sims is kind of like that. Um you know, the core loop of like living your little person's life is fine and satisfying to a lot of people, but other people like to do collecting or mastering skills or, you know, befriending everybody in the neighborhood and, and all of these little other loops that are essentially mini games. Mm-hmm. Or some people are like me and didn't actually own Sims and only got to play it at other people's houses. So they just put on all the cheat codes when they first get start playing and build a big house. Rosebud. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I guess, um, you know, this is a well-worn trend in game design, but, uh, you know, one, one thing I'm sort of curious about is, you know, is it, is it fair, I guess, just to include a mini game to sort of pad things out, um, or how good does it have to be to contribute to the core game versus detract from it? And I, I'm not sure that's entirely clear to me yet. Oh, I think it's going to differ game to game but like how i was saying that i view side quests to a degree as a mini game i think the reason i started believing that was because of one of the worst offenders in this category and that's the assassin's creed games okay because a lot of the like secondary stuff you do will be like find and collect a hundred fairy fairies feathers scattered <laughs> throughout four humongous cities or you know, uh, go around and do all of these quick little th- side quests that you have to do for this thing. And it ends up feeling like just this insanely long collectathon if you have to do all the side quest stuff. Sure, to sure. the point where it's very distracting to actually finishing the game. Yeah, well, you know, you, you've sort of touched on something that's, I think, been noticed by a lot of people who enjoy the sorts of games that we do. And that's that even main story games... Uh, you know, the the amount of things you can put into a quest-type game are pretty limited. There's lots of fetch quests in games, and, you know, for a few of them, people don't mind, but after doing, like, ten of them, it gets very, very repetitive. Um, well, on some you know, games, build is, their entire system around that. Sure. Uh, puzzle solving can be fun maybe the first time, but after that, I, like, I know I've been a, a, a offender here, I just look up the solution because I've already done it once and it wouldn't be fun for me to solve again. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm really bad about that. Yeah. The the number of things that can really, you know, animate a quest type game are fairly limited. It's true. Like, eh, I don't know if it's just like there is a finite resource of things you can make another make a player do to pad out playtime. But like even side quests that are done well and mini games that are done well in big games, like sometimes feel extraneous. And like, I, I know when I played through final fantasy 10, every single time I play through it, 
I always play Blitzball because I really enjoy Blitzball. Sure. But sure. Blitzball locks away um, all of Waka's legendary stuff, basically. And if you aren't willing to do it, and it's deeply involved, like you have to be willing to dedicate hours to actually being able to make it far enough to do uh, Blitzball. And once you know what you're doing, it becomes really repetitive and kind of easy. Yep. Because you eventually get to the point where you've got all the best players scattered throughout uh, Spira on your team. Everyone's just way stronger than everyone else that you're facing. And so, like, you end up winning games are like 10 points because you've just put in the time to grind out all these insanely good players. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy VII also had the whole quest to get Knights of the Round. Mm-hmm. And that was basically a Chocobo breeding uh, minigame, which is yeah. fine. But also it was extremely involved and required getting multiple different colors from all over the world. Um, sometimes they were fairly rare uh, appearance chances. And then you had to take them all to the ranch and breed them in this very uh, careful order. And once you able you were, you were able to do that, you could finally ride one that I think ran over water or something. And that allowed yep. you to get to the place where the Knights of the Round was. So, uh, And the thing is, like, many games like that you would almost like the kind of person who figures that out figures it out and then everyone else just copies what that person did totally because the involvement of the minigame at that point like if you don't understand blitzball perfectly how it works out you wouldn't know to go and recruit very specific people who have these specific stats will make them good in a certain place. Yeah. And the same with, like you said, if you don't know the exact order to breed your chocobos in to get to, I think it's a golden chocobo or a silver mm-hmm. chocobo, or whatever it is that allows you to run on water. Like I've never even tried because just the thought of doing it is exhausting to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I also didn't do it. Um, Hey, it, you, you can't say anything, though. You dodged lightning 200 times to get Lulu's legendary. I, I did I do that, yes. I thought 200 isn't that bad. I only failed it once and had to start over, so it wasn't that bad. But, um, yeah, I can totally <sighs> understand. Like, to a lot of people, that's just tedium. Um, and honestly, to me, it was largely tedium, but I, I did it. Um, <laughs> uh, on the other <clears> hand, like, yeah, I think this is a really important point, right? That some minigames are way less fun than other parts of the game. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a game that I absolutely adore, Faster Than Light, um, I find the choose-your-own-adventure part a lot more fun than the combat. And so every <laughs> time combat comes in, I'm like, I hope this is a short one. <laughs> right. Well, because actually, like, executing combat well, especially in the beginning, is incredibly difficult. And then as you, like, spec out your ship to be really good at one specific thing... It becomes easier, but if you ever encounter something where you can't use that specific thing you've teched out to, you usually just lose. Yeah, so you either end up picking something that is okay against everything, or something that's got a hard counter and you just hope real hard that it doesn't happen. You know, right. um, early on in the game, uh, you can get uh, start out as a Mantis ship, and they're really good at boarding, but often have very light or know-it-all weapons. Um, and if you have a boarding ship without any weapons, then you can just lose against the automated um, drones because you can't board them. Yep. So and it's just like, Oh, I got screwed. Yeah. And cool. And like rock, paper, scissors that you can't influence in any way is a frustrating game design. It is. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, you know, to me, part of making a mini game worth doing over and over again is enough variation uh, making sure it's fair enough that you can win with different builds or different uh, approaches or, or whatever. Um, and also maybe like just understanding how often to trigger the minigame. If it's something very small, like, you know, picking locks, I don't mind that much. Um, if it's something that's a little more involved, it better be a fun game and, uh, or maybe only appear, you know, 10 or 15 times in the overall game. I didn't well, hack that many vending machines in Bioshock, for example. <laughs> well, and, and at the end of the day, if you put enough time and thought into your mini game, sometimes it ends up spawning off into its own thing. You mentioned Gwent. Gwent was a card game in The Witcher that now is just played as its own game. Now it's a card game. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. And, and honestly, Caravan uh, in uh, Fallout New Vegas is sort of a precursor to that 
um it was also really popular it's i don't think i've ever seen it played outside of fallout but there are people who love it and and play and really enjoy it i cannot get my head around the rules and so (laughs) i just don't play it and i just that's the only um the only achievements i don't have in fallout new vegas are the caravan ones it's it's just one of those things like you said like mini games can put up a wall to certain people some like People can't get the fishing done in Stardew Valley. Someone doesn't want to invest the time to sit there and dodge 200 lightning bolts in a row. Like, it's it's the kind of thing where they can fully gatekeep entire sections of a game off if they are done poorly or are too tedious. And if there's something that's, like, really worth it for the main game behind that, sometimes people will just, like, I hate this part, but I'll do it anyway. Right, you'll um, beat your head against the wall until it falls over. Yeah, uh, a couple of other mini games that like stand out in my head as ones that were baffling choices or, or a little bit um, frustrating to me were like the racing mini game randomly in like the second major level of um, Chrono Trigger. Um, <laughs> Chron- the stoop- oh my god! When you go to the future, right? Yeah, chasing uh, racing oh, Johnny. Oh my so, god, that's awful. It's not very well done, and also. You can't win or lose until, like, the last two seconds of the race. You, you literally just ping-pong back and forth for position, and then you need to hit your boost at exactly the right time, and then you win. Um, if you do it any other way, it's, like, random whether or not you win. Jeez. So, fun. Um, yeah, it just, um, I, I guess my point about minigames here is that uh, you know, they, they always represent some kind of change from what you were doing before, uh, right. even if we include side quests, like you were saying. So mm-hmm. often it means learning new mechanics, but even when it doesn't mean learning new mechanics, it means like setting aside whatever you were thinking about and thinking about something else for a while. Right. Um, so it's always going to represent sort of a change in um, like a cognitive change in, in game. Some sort of shift. Um, so if you're going to be doing that sort of thing, it really needs to be worth it. One of the frustrating things to me and reason why I really don't like quick time events isn't because they're intrusive, but it's because I can't. Well, it is sort of because they're intrusive. I can't pay attention at all to what's happening in the actual cutscene. I have watched uh, a scene at the end of um, Resident Evil 4, like, I don't know, 15, 20 times because the amount of time it gave you to win the quick time event was like, a split second like half a second and i just watched the thing over and over again until i finally hit it so <laughs> like that's not fun i don't nope. remember what the scene was about i think it had something to do with a knife I, yeah yeah see and, and that's the thing poorly done mini games like will fully pull you out of an experience and whereas well done mini games you almost don't notice they're there yeah or, or they really do assist with the immersion. You know, one of the things that uh, Grand Theft Auto has been trying is adding more and more very small mini games in order to make it so that your character can do more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a little controversial. Um, I think it's five has stuff like yoga and um, like mini games for I don't remember, you know, tennis or things like that. Well, a lot uh, of that got built off of, I feel, San Andreas's kind of RPG elements. Yeah, and San Andreas had some neat stuff, right? Like, there was a little mini game for running, a little mini game for lift, uh, lifting weights. If you did those mini games enough times, your character got a little better in those areas. Uh, you got stronger or had more health or could run faster or further, um, which was nice, right? It was cool to, right. to have the, the mini games directly impact um, your, your play style. Um, but, like... Uh, there have been people who love Red Dead Redemption 2's unavoidable tiny mini games like getting on and off the horse and um, making sure your your food consumption was right so that you didn't get fat wait, or wait, get too wait, thin. Wait, wait, wait. There's a yeah. mini game to get on and off the horse? Well, so it's like an unskippable little thing um, where like if you are, are not careful getting off the horse, it might kick you and stuff. So you kind of have to just position yourself properly. Um <laughs> So it's not, I wouldn't call it a mini game exactly, but it's like a, a little realism element that never leaves the game that you'll see over and over again. Right? And, oh, and, that's brutal. Yeah. Um, and some people love it and they're like, it really makes me think, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm such a uh, cowboy, you know, on the frontier. And other people are like 
I just want to go to the town. Like, just let me go to the town, please. You know what? That that reminds me of uh, climbing in uh, Breath of the Wild. Oh, that's where a, really good a point. lot of people hated climbing because you could a like it's it's literally just a have you built up your meter long enough to where you're trying to climb but also you could randomly have a storm pop up and this is another thing people hated was the rain of storms and then like it randomly adds a, an element where after every few couple steps your character will slide down a little bit oh no because it's slick now and so you could have everything planned out perfectly, and then all of a sudden, random storm pops up, and now, like, I hope that you've got way more uh, climbing than you need, because you could, with the slip back that you have, you may not make it now. So the last thing that I really want to say about this is that um, I think whether or not a minigame is successful partially depends on the scope of the original game. Um, mm. The game is supposed to be, like, a fairly focused narrative or, um, like, a, a sort of unitary gaming experience it's best obviously not to put a bunch of mini games in there if it's mm -hmm. supposed to be almost like a another world simulator then i can totally see the argument for including mini games like i i admit i'm guilty of in certain times adding more mini games to my game um you know the spell research uh, mod i have talked positively about in skyrim is a mini game that you add to make learning spells harder and therefore feel more valuable when you get them. Mm -hmm. um, I have also added things like the weather minigame, where you have to, you know, if it's snowing and, and raining outside, you can't walk as far before you start getting sick or losing health, because in the core game, you can walk through, you know, freezing cold ice and snow and never lose hit points or stamina or anything. And yep. people are like, that's weird. So they added this, uh, modders added this thing where it, it bogs you down. And if you don't wear furs and if you don't build fires and if you don't camp, um, you'll eventually either get sick or lose your stamina or lose your health or whatever. Um, I added that in there. I added um, building mini games and all sorts of stuff because it made it feel more engaging and it made all the little pieces of um, advancement that I did feel more valuable um, in core skyrim you can get very powerful very quickly you know go from having iron daggers to you know, daedric swords and stuff pretty quickly and yeah. sometimes it feels like well why doesn't you know why doesn't everybody have glass swords and um you know dragon bone armor um when you do the mini games and the extra steps in between here and there it feels more valuable because the scope of that game is so big so that's fair yeah um do you have any other thoughts about mini games here I think that we've hit on good places where like mini games are are a good experience that have been added. Where mini games sometimes are just they're just kind of there; it doesn't detract from anything, but you don't feel like it's added value. And there are times where it obviously can kind of bring down an otherwise good game. And I think that it comes down to the same thing that all games come down to, which is that game design is hard, <laughs> and sometimes people miss the mark. And they think that they've got this great idea and ends up being that you have to spend 20 hours picking a lock. And so maybe sometimes you take that out. I'm really curious um, on this topic, how popular Death Stranding is going to remain over the next few months and years. I've, I've been trying to avoid everything for that because it seems crazy and I've heard real mixed things. Me too. And. Some people love it. They love the the beautiful mess that is a Kojima game, right? Um, I mean, I love the Metal Gear Solid games. I can't say anything. <laughs> well, and and I it, I understand based on some of the reviews that I've read, the Death Stranding includes what is essentially a mini game as part of its core loop. Um, the the sort of building and making things um, more accessible that are otherwise um, hard to get to because of the way that your character like walks <laughs> um what <laughs> I, I don't want to get too into it because like you said it could be a little bit of a spoiler but like part of the core loop is that your character is controlled a little bit like octodad um and oh if you're not careful like you can just you know walk off the path and break your ankle or whatever um and that that is a core part of the game loop um and then getting out to a place that's like there's a river you can't just walk through the river like you can in every other video game there is. So you might need to build something. And because of the way that the game is like linked into a server, someone may have partially built a thing there for you. And you can help build it, you know, and later on, 
other people can use the thing that you both built together. And um, so it's basically like these weird little mini games that work together to create the core loop. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So unless you have anything else to, to say about this, this is a super interesting topic. And I know people have probably got ideas on the, the tip of their tongue where they're like, you didn't talk about the weirdest mini game I've ever seen, or you didn't talk about the best mini game I've seen. So if you're interested in talking to us about this stuff, Hit us up on Twitter uh, at playing underscore rough. You can also email us at playing at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. So uh, if you are interested in seeing those sorts of things and chatting with us, those are great places to catch us. Um, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, we do have a Patreon uh, for $3 a month. You can get our whole backlog. I just put up 25 minor magic items that won't break your campaign. So um, I'm always posting new content there that you might find interesting, um, humor, campaign ideas, uh, explorations of ideas. So um, if you are interested in that sort of thing and you want to support us, um, $3 a month will get all of that for you. So <laughs> with that, I have been John. And I have been David. Bye, everybody. Bye. What is your least favorite minigame you've ever played? Who? That's a good question. It's got to have been something that was mandatory Mm -hmm. and something that was intrusive. I'm sure for me, it's something from Kingdom Hearts. You know what? It's racing. It's racing in all of its guises. I don't really play racing (laughs) games. And so, like, for example, I think there's a lot of people who would say racing is an important part of, um, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto games. But to me, the core of Grand Theft Auto is the crime. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hated the racing missions. There were a couple that gated the end of um, the main story. And I actually never finished any Grand Theft Auto game in its entirety because of that. Yeah. And it's interesting because like Grand Theft Autos have like, as the time has gone on, have told better and better and more interesting stories. Mm-hmm. And, but they haven't really changed what like like you said like the core game loops are so much yeah and so it's kind of sad to see some of that really great story get locked behind something you don't enjoy doing i mean you know the famous one is uh all you had to do was follow the train cj uh that one i didn't even find that bad because there is a trick to shooting down the guys that are shooting you from the train um but i'm talking about the ones that where it's like you get invited to a famous person's um drag race and you have to like race to this map and I just didn't like that stuff. I, the The physics of the drives were so much better at crashing than they were at like actually driving that I just right. didn't 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 do it for me. What about you? Like I said, it's it's got to be something from Kingdom Hearts because I've put so many hours into those games, and the, like the end game content is often just locked behind something stupid. <laughs> um. Like I, 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 what I'm trying to remember exactly in Kingdom Hearts, like two point five final mix, whenever the most recent one of that came out, uh, one of the things that you have to do to unlock some of the final, um, the final Keyblade, the uh, ultimate Keyblade, is you have to play this stupid mini game where you have to just bounce this black toadstool. Over and over and over and over and over again to where you get him far enough along, he gives you better rewards the further you go. And so you have to get him to a certain point where he has a chance to drop one of the things you need and you need multiple of them. Oh, no. That sort of padding of a minigame is even worse. And Kingdom Hearts is really bad about it. <laughs> um, did you ever play the the Mist games or, or Mist itself? I, like, have tried to do them when I was very young and had no clue what was going on, but I never actually, like, played a Miss game. So I finally, when I was, like, an adult, went back and beat Mist, and there is one puzzle, which I guess you could call a minigame because it's a pretty big departure from the main sort of, like, find clue, apply clue somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually, you have to have, like, an ear for music, and you play a song... And then you have to use these little sliders to find the right tone and build the song from the sliders. And I don't have a particularly great ear for music. <laughs> and so I ended up counting. I, I mean, which is music is math, right? Underneath yeah. it. Um, I, I would count. I was like, okay, so this has, you know, six clicks on it. 
boop, 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 boop. Okay, I think that's about right. And, you know, I got pretty close and I went back and adjusted things. And finally, I unlocked the last uh, part of the world. But it's like the last puzzle um, or the, the puzzle that hides the last world. And so it took me so long to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of cheated. I mean, I, I worked my way around it. I'm surprised you didn't just go look the answer up for that one. I'm not going to lie. Well, I sort of did. Um, but at that point I was like, no, you know what? I, I can't actually find the answer because if I do that, then I did all of the other puzzles. Why not just do this one? Right. (laughs) Well, I'm impressed because I I could have seen me just bashing my head against, uh, the TV on that one. You know, and frankly, like, I know we didn't talk about it in this one, but so many of those puzzle games are not logical. Um, you know, they're just pixel hunts or they're like combine random things until the game moves forward. Um, and <laughs> some of the old Sierra ones, like you could make uh, losable that way. Um, mm. That I don't know. I don't know if you count those as mini games or if you count that as, as just something else. But uh, I mm, missed it better, at least. Patience than, than those. testing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, um, good stuff. So, <laughs> hope hope you're all able to you know play play that mini game in your hearts. Um, I have been John. I've been David. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye everyone. All right, we're out.